Well, we are in the 14th chapter of the book of Romans, and I want to start with this question. How would you describe your faith right now at this moment? Is it strong or is it weak? And you're probably sitting there going, well, how would I know, right? I mean, it's kind of a difficult question. The, the state of your faith, is it strong or is it weak? And uh, we're going to take a peek into the church at Rome that Paul is writing this letter to because he's going to address strong and weak believers. They're all believers, but he's, he's going to make some distinctions. He's going to give some encouragement, some instructions. So as we get ready to do that, would you pray with me? Father, we do thank you for the gift of your word, your truth, that makes weakness strong, that can, can strengthen our faith today as it has throughout the ages. And we pray for just that. As we hear your word, that we would be strengthened in our faith. And Father, that we'd realize that our job as believers is to be on the lookout aware of people who need strengthening that who are around us in this place. Bless our time together. Use it for your purposes. May your spirit teach today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Well, just to review a little bit, last week we talked about this shift in Paul's writings from, or from uh, doctrine to doing. And he always does it. And we spent 11 chapters learning doctrine, the truth about God. And then it shifts to doing, and it did that in, on uh, chapter 12, in chapter 12, and just remember, just so you'll re recall this, because it's key to the rest of the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 say this, offer yourself as a living sacrifice, because of all the things God has done for you, offer yourself as a living sacrifice, I'm all in, Lord, take me and use me, all of me, I'm yours, and then he says, don't be Conform to the world. Resist the pressure. Because we all have that pressure in the world to, to, to get pushed into the mold of the world. Don't, don't resist that. You can do that. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The truth of God working your mind. We want revival. I can tell you how it's going to come. We just sang about it. It's going to come when we all get convinced. Our minds are renewed by the truth of God's word. And people will see in us something that's so irresistible and so powerful, they'll say, I want some of that. I don't know what it is, but I want some of it. And so once that happens, then once your, your mind begins to be transformed, you, you have this capacity to test and discern what God's will is for your life. People ask me again all the time, they say, well, what's God's will for my life? And I say, well, are you a living sacrifice? Are you resisting being conformed to the world? Are you being transformed by the renewing of your mind? Then you're going to be able to discern it. You're going to know it. And remember, the passage ends with this idea of knowing what is good, acceptable, and perfect for your life. And we use that to describe gap, the concept of gap. All right? Because we all have gaps in our faith, right? I mean, we're not as strong as we want to be. I mean, we can, we're here, and God wants us here, and there's a gap. We're trying to work towards what's good, acceptable, and perfect in our lives, and it's tough, it's difficult, it's challenging, and that's why we're a family together. And we have people all along a continuum of faith, and we have to learn how to encourage and get along because we're going to have some differences of opinions. Have you ever noticed that churches are filled with people with different opinions? Anybody ever experienced that? <laughs> yeah, okay. And sometimes those opinions get in the way of this. 
That's what Paul's trying to write about today. And so let's look at the situation here. Let's just talk about what that looked like for the Roman church. We mentioned it in the first or second week, I don't recall, but the first, when we first started talking about it, we realized that first of all, in Rome, there were um, Jewish Christians. The Jews have been dispersed from persecution, they're in Rome, and they're part of this church. Now, why is that significant? Well, because they're all trying to process Jesus' redo of the Mosaic Law. They're trying to, in their own mind, saying, okay, what are the religious things that we used to do that we don't have to do anymore? And they're all going, I don't know, that's pretty tough stuff, because they were pretty committed to some of that stuff. Now, they're followers of Christ, they're, they're believers in Jesus, but they're still processing their past. And it's a challenge. Now, on the other hand, we have the Gentiles who are there, and they're still processing their past, too, because they had complete freedom to do and eat anything they want, where the Jews were going, hey, no pork. They were going to, you know, the other guys were saying, hey, we sing, we say the large prayer, not the Lord's prayer, but the large prayer. That's about meat, you know. It's about, uh, you know, uh, this beautiful gift of good things to eat. And, and, and so they're there, and they're, they're together as one community. And if you can kind of imagine, there's some different opinions on what's good, <laughs> acceptable, and perfect. Because that's, that's what they, they, they're processing their past. And, and so both groups have some things to deal with. And, and when you think about it, what Paul does is he simply says, look, I want you to make sure that those opinions about things don't get in the way. I want you to keep the main thing the main thing. You've heard that before? You know, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing is Jesus. The main thing is what we talked about back in the first 11 chapters. We talked about the word justification. What does that mean? Justified. I've been made just as if I have never sinned. I've been declared righteous. That's the main thing. He said, Paul says, would you guys, I know you're processing your past. But would you keep the main thing the main thing? And it's interesting because it's really hard. I mean, think about the Jews' perspective. Jesus comes along and he says, the Sabbath, which was their high holy day, the Sabbath was made for man, not for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is the Lord of even the Sabbath. And he did this while he was working on the Sabbath. He was picking grain and eating, something he wasn't supposed to do. So the Jews are going, whoa, this is really different. How does it work? Can we really do this? So they were processing that. They were processing their past. But also, the Gentiles were processing their past. And Paul writes to the Gentiles, and, and he says in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, uh, they, they would say this to him, that I have the right to do anything. But Paul would say, look, not everything is constructive and good. You need to be careful about your Christian freedom. Because there are some things you've done in the past that you need to stop doing. So this is what's going on. This is the community of faith. And we enter into the first chapter of the, uh, chapter 14, and here's what we find out. We find out, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. So we know there was some quarreling over opinions, right? So people were arguing about what is this church supposed to look like? They were probably arguing about the color of the hymnal or something like that, right? No, they would never do that. That would never happen. Or the color of the walls or, you know, the decorations in the church or whatever. No, they were arguing over the things that were important to them at that, in that time. 
And, and so I want you to circle these words in your sermon notes cards if you haven't pulled those out yet. Uh, weak and welcome and quarrel and opinions. So let's talk about it. First of all, people who are weak in the faith, which of course probably all of us have said that at one point in time or another. We said, hey, I'm weak in the faith. People who are weak are welcome in a church, right? People who are weak in faith. We want that kind of community. That's a beautiful kind of community to have with lots of different people at different stages of growth, spiritual growth. People who are weak are welcome, as they were in the Roman church. But not to quarrel over opinions. Because everybody's got opinions on how to do church. Heard of one church that split because of a piano bench. That's how bad it can get. You know, one group said, no, you can't have that bench in here. The other group said, yes, I want that bench in here. And so they just formed two churches. They met at different hours. They moved the piano bench in and out of the room. So, you know, go figure. Silly, right? Stupid. It's so important that we don't quarrel because here's what's going on. Satan loves to divide us because it diminishes the witness of the church when we see all these divisions within churches and this fighting that's going on and quarreling that's going on. It splits churches. Jesus, on the night that he, before he was crucified, he prayed, he said, I pray that they would be one so that the world may believe. Because he knew that that unity was an important part of our witness to the world. So it's important that we grow up, but we have to figure out how to live together first, right? We have to figure out how to support one another and decide what we're going to really hold up as being worth discussing and the things that we can kind of let go. And that's what was going on in Romans chapter 14. So when you look at weak faith, you know, if, you, if you've ever felt weak in the faith, does everybody, anybody ever feel weak in the faith? I, I'm going to raise my hand. Yeah. Weak in the faith is normal. I mean, it's part of growing up. It's not a, a pejorative term to be weak in the faith because it's like a baby growing up. You've got to grow up. You start someplace. But there are some reasons why weakness is in our lives. You could be new to the faith, but you might not be. You might just not be taught well. You might not be subjecting yourself to teaching. Um, you might have incorrect teaching that can make you weak. You might have traditions that get in the way. Yeah, that's a big one, isn't it? Things that you think you have to do, but you really don't have to do, that you feel guilty when you don't do, <laughs> it can be really bad stuff. And it can make you weak. So all those things, works, righteousness, that, that last one, I mean, this idea that, oh, if I do this right, somehow I'm going to earn favor with God. I mean, this is so common because every world religion is built around that except for Christianity. So when you become a Christian or you grow up in Christianity, you've got to wrestle with the reality that you're different and that you're not working for God's approval. You've already got it because you've been justified, the main thing in Christianity. So keep the main thing the main thing, right? And now we have this fight going on in in uh, the church of Rome. And it's a fight over the important issues for them. Maybe not for us today, but for them. And it was over food, drink, and uh, special days. Holidays, religious holidays, religious festivals, observances. And it's like, well, what should we do? What shouldn't we do? The Gentiles had a totally different idea that the Jews did, and it was not going well. They were trying to figure out how could they, 
How could they all grow up together? You know, the, I put in your sermon notes card, there's several passages in, throughout the New Testament where this problem of, of Jewish tradition gets in the way of Christians growing up with non-Jews. And you can study that on your own time because it's, it's very much a big problem. It, it, it gets down to the idea that oftentimes it was presented as a legalistic requirement for somebody who's a Gentile to become a Christian. They say, oh, no, you got to do this or you got to do that. And it became a problem. And so this was going on in Rome. And, and here's Paul's second verse. He says, one person believes he, ate, he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Now, I just want to tell you right now, the person is not weak because they eat only vegetables, right? Just ask a gorilla, okay? They're fine. It's not the vegetables that make them weak, so eat your vegetables, all right? It's important. What's going on here is Paul's saying, look, there's a weakness. Whenever you start looking at these requirements and begin to think that something you're going to do like that is going to change the way God views you. So we have to be careful with those religious traditions and dietary restrictions, some of the stuff that Jesus fulfilled when he came. He, he, Jesus, remember from last week, he came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it, and he fulfilled it uh, for us so that he could fulfill it through us. And then he said, look, here's the way it's done. It's done in love for God and love for one another on the horizontal. And so it's important that we understand that, that you know, when, when we get to the things that people say we have to do, we always have to evaluate it in light of Jesus' fulfillment of the law. Now, that's the weak. So some of the weak people eat only vegetables. Uh, some of the Gentiles are saying, hey, I'm going to eat whatever I want to eat, right? Now, I just want you to imagine, you know, so we have a small group in Rome. Who's in a small group? Anybody in a small group? All right. If you, so you're going to get together. And the Gentiles are making dinner, potluck dinner, you know, they're going to make the main course. And they decide to do this big pork shoulder, pulled pork, awesome, wonderful thing. And in walks the few folks from the Jewish community. What's that going to be like? Because they're going, whoa, can we eat that? That could be a challenge, right, because of these dietary laws. And how do we work in love one another. Now, this is the problem they were having in their day. It's not necessarily the problem we have today, but we have other problems, as we'll get to in a moment. Other things that we divide over that are not that important, that are opinions, not God's truth. And we'll see how that works. Now, Paul says this in uh, verse, or chapter 15, the very first verse, he says, look, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. So there are strong people in the church. There are people who have worked through this. And, and Paul counts himself as one of those people. And, and typically it's more like, you know, there are people who are stronger than the person that's here. And there's somebody who's even stronger. And, and we try to learn from each other. That's the whole idea of discipleship, by the way. That we would have somebody who's stronger than us, who can guide us and lead us in all these things. And we'll see how important that is as we continue. As Paul continues, he says, look, here's what's happening now in, these, in, these, in this community. He's saying, look, uh, let not the one who eats, you know, that pulled pork sandwich in front of the Jews moment, let, let one who eats not 
one who eats despise the one who abstains. Okay, so despise means count for nothing. So there's a diminishing, like, well, what's the, I mean, you know, they call themselves a follower of Christ, and they won't even eat a pulled pork sandwich? What's wrong with them? He said, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. And so the people who were abstaining were saying, well, what kind of Christian are you if you would allow that, if you would allow that to happen in your life? And Paul finishes that line. He says, for God has welcomed him. God is, you know, the question there is that the last sentence indicates, you know, it's the, it's the Gentile that's actually eating and, and being judged. And remember, the Gentile had never any thought that he'd be part of God's plan. And Paul's reminding the Jews, hey, God welcomed them. He brought them in. They brought, God brought the Gentiles into the family. That, that continues. He says, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? This, this judging and despising was going back and forth. People were looking and nitpicking, if you would, at all the little things that they were doing, and, and they were opinions, not the truth of God, not the fundamental, important doctrines of truth that we learned in the first 11 chapters. They were opinions. And you know what we say about opinions? They're like noses. Everybody's got one. The question is, is it important? And so Paul, you know, he begins to say, look, this is going, this is not going well. This idea of judgment. You need to understand something. And he says, for the Lord is able to make him stand. He says, look, who's, he's, the Lord is going to judge, and he's going to spend several verses which we don't have time to go through today. They're in your sermon notes uh, bulletin. You can process them where he talks about why you shouldn't judge. But the bottom line is the Lord will judge. Okay, the Lord will, is able to make him stand. In other words, you can't stand before God righteously without the Lord. None of you, he's saying to the church at Rome. None of you can do that. So just chill and know that you're justified. Keep the main thing the main thing. So that, so that people would not then turn and start to judge one another. As he goes on, he says, um, what happens is he, he brings in this religious holiday as well as the meat and drink that they were talking about, the idea of Sabbath or when you celebrate, that kind of thing. He brings that in. And then he finishes with this little statement that verse 5, he says, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. That's really a hard thing to process because when you start thinking about it, I think, well, what do you mean, Paul? Do you mean you get to design your own truth and religion? You get to decide what is right and then you live by it? That's not what he's saying. Because that would be against the rest of Scripture. What he's saying is you have to understand the why. If you're going to say that you've got to do something, you've got to, why am I doing it? I mean, why is that important? So let's look at that, the idea of knowing the why. See, if you want to know what's good, acceptable, and perfect, you have to know what do I do. You have to answer that question, what do I do? But you also have to know why do I do it. And, and what, what happens here is if you don't understand the why, all right, the, the why has to be right if, if you really want the what to accomplish its pur purpose. Does that make sense? Let me give you an example. Oftentimes at Lent, around Lent, what do we do? We give things up, right? And, I, and I'll ask people, I say, well, why do you do that? 
And they'll say, because it's Lent. <laughs> and I say, okay, that's a, is that a good reason? You know, is Lent in the Bible? No. I mean, it's not, it's not something that's commanded by Christ. And it's, a, it's a, something that people choose to celebrate. That's not bad. It's not necessarily bad, but is it something that you have to, you have to give something up? Well, what about taking something on instead of giving something up? See, and when people can't answer the why, what good is the what going to do in their lives? Because they haven't thought through it. They're not doing it to honor God. They're not doing it to give thanks. They're doing it because they're meeting some sort of religious requirement. You see the problem? You got to know. You got to know the why. On all of this stuff that's outside the, the, the core of Christianity, the practice of Christianity, you've got to know why you're doing it. And he goes on and he explains this in verse 6. He says, look, he says, the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. So the one who would worship on a certain day can do that in honor of the Lord. He knows the reason why. He knows it's to honor the Lord. But look, the one who eats, eats the pulled pork sandwich. All right, eats in the honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God. Is anybody getting hungry already? Right, because he knows what he's doing. He's knowing the why. He's eating, he's giving thanks to God. He provided a meal, and you can do that. It doesn't make any difference what that meal is, whether it's vegetables or pulled pork. Since he gives thanks to God. So while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. You see, the one who abstains can do it. He can say, look, I'm going to set aside a time where I fast from something to honor the Lord. You see, what's common in all of those three is that they know the why. And when it comes to these disputable matters, that's what we have to live under. These opinions, these practices of Christianity, the things we do to grow up in the faith. Paul writes this in Colossians 2. He says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food, drink, and with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And we always want to be focused on the substance. We don't want to live in the shadows, especially because there's a lot of opinions about the shadows. And so, and so just look at this. Here, here's the substance. It strengthens faith. If you want to strengthen your faith, you know that these things will do it. You return to these truths. They transform your mind. They make you strong in the faith if you process them and, and bring them in and ponder them and live them and just try to figure out, like, this is true, the problem of sin. God reveals it. Sound familiar from Romans 3? Justification is God's truth that's that's the substance of Christianity. That's the main thing. Okay? The identity in Christ that we have, that, that we're loved children of God, that's substance. That's substance. Sanctification, that God's got a plan for our lives, that he wants us to grow up in faith, become more mature, and be used for his purpose. That's God's truth, that's substance. The Holy Spirit that God would never, ever give you an assignment without giving you the power to live it out. He's done it. He's given it. That, that is substance. Discipleship. The fact that the strong, anybody who's strong in their faith is turning around and trying to help who's weak. That's important stuff. You would, you would not debate or argue over these things as Christians. We should not. 
Anybody who does is probably moving outside of orthodoxy, outside of the right belief or the, the standard understanding of Christianity. Now, the shadows, on the other hand, are much different because they weaken the faith. They have the potential to do that. So don't live in the shadows. Now, the shadows for them, their opinions about drink, food, and special days. But the shadows for us look a little different, don't they? I mean, unless you're going to get into an argue about a, you know, paleo versus vegan or vegetarian diet, right? But that's typically not what we're talking about. But there are a few things that get in our way. Look at these, these ideas. Things like politics. I mean, can you be a Democrat and be uh, a Christian? Uh-oh, are you all Democrats? <laughs> can you be a Republican and be a Christian? You see what I'm saying? You see how those would have the potential to divide? Is that, is that the main thing? No. Did you see some of the rest of them? Halloween. Should we celebrate it or not? I mean, you have to be careful with all these things because they aren't core. Right? And, and so here's the thing. We don't argue over these things. That's the, that's the point. We don't argue over these things. Instead, we live in the substance. The substance that strengthens our faith, the main thing that strengthens our faith. You see, our job, our job is to extend a hand to the weak folks around us because we're always stronger than somebody. And, and instead of giving them their, an opinion about, you know, some political issue or your stance on whatever, instead of that, point them back to the substance that we just talked about. Because that's what's important, and that's ultimately what will strengthen their faith, not you trying to convince them on some issue. It's so important that we do that, that we could be a church where those things don't divide us. And that's the message of this passage. That's, that's what Paul's saying. Be a church that can walk in love. The, the verse, final verse I want to cover with you is, is 17th verse. And again, you've got all the verses and my notes if you want to dialogue on those and, and read my notes and agree with me or um, have a little quarrel with me, that's fine. Do that. Uh, you can email me to do that. But this final verse is important. Paul writes this. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. In other words, it's not a matter of these not-so-important issues. It's a matter of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what's core righteousness, being declared righteousness, righteous, that we are declared righteous. We're justified, made just as if we've never sinned, that we have the peace that that brings because now our relationship with God, we've been loved perfectly by God and we have peace with him. We never have to fear him. We never have to worry about our performance, especially on those other things that we talked about. If it's not outside that core of Christianity, the thing that brings substance, you know, God's saying, no, whatever. I love you as a child of God, and that should bring great joy through the Holy Spirit into our hearts. So, where are you on your faith? Weak? Strong? Just know that to get stronger, focus not on the shadows, but on the substance. Let's pray together.